are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to getlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to getlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at getlatka.com. Guys, he cut his teeth at an operating uh, company as a, in the private equity firm, also at PwC before that. Now runs a newsletter focused on CFOs, of which he gets a 46% open rate, which is about 16,000 opens, and a 5 to 7% click-through rate, which is 800 clicks per post, called MostlyMetrics.com, hosted on Substack. 7,000 of those readers are actual CFOs. In fact, it's so valuable. We've got companies like Brex willing to pay him 1, 2, 3, 4K sort of per post uh, from a sponsor perspective. He's looking to scale that now, launched a podcast as well with Turpentine, still while cutting his teeth as an operator, as a true CFO at a company called Parts Tech, which he's, uh, which he's working on. Hey, folks, my guest today is CJ Gustafson. He's a startup CFO who sat on both sides of the table, the one who's doing the funding and the one who's receiving the funding. He's a fan of business breaking, of breaking down how businesses make money and writes about his learnings twice a week in his newsletter, MostlyMetrics.com. All right, CJ, you ready to take us to the top? Let's blast off, buddy. All right. So my audience really respects, obviously, folks that cut their teeth in the operating world. So what company were you sort of operating in learning that side of the equation? Yeah, man. So I've been an operator for about 10 years now. I was originally on the you know private equity and management consulting side where I learned a lot about business models, but I felt like a total financial tourist. I didn't really have skin in the game. And then when I moved over to get, you know, my quote, real world MBA, I was at a backup and recovery software vendor and I was leading, uh, you know, sales ops and, and FP&A. And that's kind of where I learned how to make the trains run on time. Yep. So you have a very interesting background. So it's so a big four PwC, then Providence Equity Partners for a year and a half. Providence Equity is usually majority buyout. It is. Yeah. And yeah. Te- technology and media space. Yep. So did they buy a chunk of Veeam and that's why you jumped into Veeam? No, I, I had, it's funny, the, the connections you make when you're younger end up playing out uh, to help you in your career. So I had interned and I was completely useless, by the way, I basically got coffees and sandwiches for people at a company that was bought by VMware. And uh, the, the CEO uh, ended up going over to this company and, and I called him one day for advice. And I was like, hey, I don't know if I should go get another degree here. And he said, well, why don't you just come work for me? And since I went over and started to hang out with salespeople and learn about how you both sell and build a product, I've never left the operating side. Got it. So Veeam Software through 2019, then a group called Snike, I think is how you say that, through 2022. Yeah, so Sneak. kind of cybersecurity on that pre-IPO path. And I, I followed the same management team there and I uh, helped build out the first FP&A group. And then we went through the whole craziness of, of COVID and fundraising and, and hyperscale. Then you leave that in September 2022 and jump into sort of this this media empire you're building. Why did you make that decision? And what is the media empire? Who are you focused on audience-wise? Yeah, of course. So I stumbled upon this. So I have a newsletter. It's mostly metrics, mostlymetrics.com. And then I have a podcast. It's called Run the Numbers. It's produced by the Turpentine Network. And Do they pay I you for that? On, or do you pay them to be part of the network? Uh, they pay me. So okay. we have advertisers. So there are a couple of different monetization streams I can break down for each. But basically, what I discovered was there wasn't an operator voice creating content out there specifically for, you know, the people who are in the trenches uh, in kind of the office of the CFO. And 
for a while, I was trying to just document what I was learning. And, and Nathan, that's because people in the startup world will pay you for the playbook that you have. You've taken a company from X to Y to Z. How do you do that now for my company too? And I was kind of scared shitless that I don't know if I can swear on this. I was scared yeah. if I, I was scared that I was going to forget what I was learning. So I started to document it. And eventually I found what I call audience market fit. It was a bunch of people who were like me interested in the same stuff. And it it took on a life of its own. It went from, you know, my mother and my dog and, and my wife reading it to 35,000 people in about a year and a half. So first year and a half, I wrote, nobody listened to me. So when did, you, when did you launch it? When did you start writing? I launched it in COVID in, I think, December of 2020. Okay. And how did you get your first thousand subscribers? Oh, man, that was a grind. I was a nut. So I would write stuff and then I would find five keywords within it. So maybe I wrote about top metrics for vertical software and I would go on Twitter and I would maniacally just keep searching for like vertical software. And then I would write something insightful and then link back to my article. You'd and write something that- insightful in response to tweets that were already posted and link back. Yeah, that's exactly what I would do. And then I got kicked out of just about every Reddit group trying to post stuff uh, like like many content creators do. And then honestly, what helped was building inroads with B2B companies who were looking to promote their software in some way, but wanted a real person to speak to the merits of, of using something. So like there are a lot of FP&A tools out there. They all have content arms or like there are a lot of payment companies like a Brex or a Ramp. And they all, you know, have content arms, but they want to partner with people who are actually practitioners in the trenches. And, you know, I was I was at first willing to, you know, do it for free for them and say, hey, you know, I'm trying to get my name out there. I enjoy writing and I have experience to speak about stuff that will resonate with people. It's not like you just hired somebody on Upwork to write it for you and it doesn't really make sense. So partnering with businesses helped a lot. Who was your first business partner? My first business partner was actually, it was Ramp, which was a really good one to have. And then I did Data Rails on the FP&A side. And then the first uh, paid one that I worked with was Brex. And since then, it's been kind of off to the races. What year did Brex pay you? They were in 2022. And before that, like I, I actually never even thought about advertising or sponsor content, I was totally of the subscription mindset. And that's mm-hmm. because I came from B2B software companies where I just knew how powerful subscription was. And I eventually actually came to the conclusion, like, hell, why, why don't I have all the monetization methods? And I think that's what a lot of creators struggle with is picking their spots of where to make money off stuff. And sometimes they pigeonhole themselves into just one thing. I mean, like, you can make a lot of money if you do webinars uh, to, to help, you know, a software company land deals with a highly targeted audience. There are a lot of different avenues you can take and kind of blending those together will kind of uh, end up in a larger pie over time. By how, did you, how did you structure that original Brex sponsorship contract? And what was the total value of the contract? They had reached out to me and they said, hey, uh, how about we just pay you a lump sum for six posts? Mm-hmm. And so I don't think I can give the exact amount on it, but that was kind of eye opening to me like, oh, shit, somebody wants to pay me for my writing now. It's not just a way to use companies as a partner. We, I mean, are we talking about um, a range? I mean, are we talking like 1K per post or like 10K per post or less or something? It was it was uh, in the middle of those two numbers you just okay. gave. So, but it's and, per uh, post. So, if it's two k per post for six posts, they paid you something like I'm making this up, tw- you know, twelve uh, k, something like that. Yeah, yeah, okay. something in that ballpark. So it wasn't like I was retiring off it, but it was 
if you've ever made a dollar online for the first time, it's a real holy shit moment. Like I feel, I feel kind of seen and validated here. And that was more important to me than the money. It was like a company that I thought highly of was willing to pay me and they Mm. were taking a bet on me. And, and since then I've been able to drastically, I'd say, increase the contract values of those who Mm. want to advertise because of the audience. So what do you charge now to get a mention in a post? Um, minimally, minimally probably like five to 10,000, depending on how much I have to say about it. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the, the, do you sell any other inventory besides a backlink in your mostly metrics article? So I think about myself kind of as a skew and I think content creators have to do that. Like, you know, it's not just about writing something in a backlink and charging for it. It's my voice is different than other people in, I think, the finance game. And I will also show up and talk to your customers if you want, just from my experiences. So like you could structure something where, hey, and I'm just going to make it up, uh, you know, $100,000 over three months, you could do uh, one podcast readout every week um, in my own tone that should resonate with finance people, plus a newsletter post, plus like a webinar show up to your event. And um, it it becomes more of a relationship, I think, when you do it that way to say, listen, I'm here to make you succeed in any way I can in any content form that you can. And by bundling those together, it's more of like a holistic value prop, not just, you know, a transactional thing where you sign up and maybe they pay you with a credit card for one post and then you never hear about them again. It's, hey, how can we grow together and actually integrate it into a marketing plan? Yeah. I mean, how do you make it sticky? You published a post on July 25th, 2023 titled What Got You Here Isn't Getting You There. It featured Breck's chief strategy officer, but the sponsor inventory at the top is blank. It says mostly metrics plus your logo here. Uh, if the original contract with Brext works, they'd want to be buying up all of your ad space. So how do you create I, yeah, sustainability funny, here? So that one, that's a great example of a partnership. I did not charge them for that because I met Art and I said, this is an incredibly brilliant person and I want to have him tell his story and share something with my audience. So I actually went and said, hey, do you want to just do this, you know, person to person and I can interview you on this. So I don't like... I actually don't try to monetize 100% of everything because I think people appreciate when you just want to talk to smart people and and put them, you know, on display for the audience. So that well, one, by the way, I don't think these are. We're in the same space, so like I, I don't want to give you that as an out. I don't think what you just said; those don't have to be mutually exclusive. If you do a really great piece of content, somebody yeah. is going to be willing to get their name in that piece of content. It's not like you're selling out every time you sell a sponsorship link in a post. So, like my question is, a lot of companies like this, newsletter sponsors, etc. The difficult thing they have is they will get a six, twelve, ten, fifteen k contract one time from a Brex. But then if they don't get the click-throughs that Brex expected, right, or they don't get, like, Brex can't justify the cost internally over time, it becomes a one-time thing that's very hard to build a sustainable business around. So so have you unlocked anything in terms of creating sustainable sponsor relationships that consistently yield you, you know, four or five, six grand per month? Yeah, so it's a great question. And I think the key is both sides realizing that this is for my audience, CFOs aren't going to just buy something because you did one banner ad in one post. You have to be willing to buy like at least a month or like six posts or 
you know, uh, for the podcast, we do three month sponsorships because it's best for both of us. You need to hear it multiple times. I remember there was a study that you need to hear about a brand seven times before you actually consider making a purchase. So I'm very upfront with people who want to sponsor it. And I'll say, listen, I can do a one-time post for you, but I really don't think it's going to be the best results because you have to also build a relationship with the audience and they have to hear from you multiple times, um, from, from multiple angles. So I, I try to caution people away from paying for one thing and saying, listen, I'll even like, you know, maybe do one post for free just to show you the clicks or something like that. I don't usually do that, but I want to build a long-term relationship where we expose you over time, multiple times to, to an audience. Mm-hmm. But I mean, how do you do that? Even when we look at your, some of your most popular posts on your website, I lost 209,000 of my own money trying to start a business. Um, like I don't see anything in here like Brex supports, you know, everyone trying to start a company, even if you lose 200 <laughs> grand like me, click here to try Brex, right? I mean, your most popular post should definitely be full, you know, if you have a sponsor inventory full, like that should be effectively filled. So I guess yeah, I think that's the what I'm trying second to one down, I think the second one down most popular third one down is on vertical software. That one was sponsored by Abacom, a company that I really believe in within the FPNA space. Uh, okay. And what's cool about that is they continue to get clicks now because most of my content's evergreen like i'm not gonna like if you think about different levels of content you have like um you have evergreen stuff which i write which is always helpful like people are always going to want to know more about metrics so they can make more money over time be better at their jobs and then you have news stuff which may be a flash in the pan and you get big views one day but people won't visit it so um some of my early posts I, i didn't uh advertise at all because i was just trying to get audience capture and to be honest, like it's kind of one of those things where you're learning on the fly every day and trying to see which model is best. Yeah. And um, there, there are a lot of uh, creators that you know I look up to in the space, and they actually give away a lot of their content for free. So somebody once said to me, CJ, you want to give away so much value that you almost feel sick not charging for it, and that's when the real money will come. Yeah, it's also a great way for people that can't make money to use as an excuse of why they haven't made any money. I mean, ultimately, you want great content creators to make a lot of money so they can reinvest. I mean, look at look at Mr. Beast and how much he spends on new videos. The videos get better because he makes so much money. Yeah. Um, so like, I want to see you get really rich because you're going to invest it back in what you love. Me which too, is brother. Content. Me too. <laughs> um, so I guess my next question for you is why give up a percent of your podcast revenue to a network when you already own relationships via mostly metrics with sponsors like Abacom that you can sell directly? Yeah, I mean, I'm still a full-time CFO at this point too, and I do nights and weekends and hustle really hard on writing and the podcast, but what Turpentine gives me is more distribution on top of what I already have, professionally produced podcasts and access to people that I may not be able to tap into. So, um like they help me source a lot of the podcast guests, they help me advertise and find partners and they have a sales arm, which is helpful. And so it allows somebody who's a professional like me to show up and just be responsible. So like, so like Jim, Jim Cook jumping on your show, you you know, the co-founder of, of Netflix, you're saying Turpentine's worth it because they would get a guest like that on my show. You wouldn't be able to get that guest by yourself. 100%. And I think over time, I'll be able to get a lot of these guests by myself. So far, it's probably been 50, 50 coming from my network, 50, 50 coming from theirs. But what is also, uh, potentially, you know, not seen in what we've talked about before is they have other business podcasts. And the best way to grow a podcast is through other podcasts. So Eric uh, Tornberg, 
uh, and Amelia, you know, the co-founders of Turpentine, what they've done an excellent job of doing is making other niches that are somewhat tangentially related who can cross promote each other. The newsletter that I have is an excellent source of distribution, but it's not the end all be all. So I want to grow from different angles. And, you know, by supporting other podcasters on the network, you end up finding this pool of like-minded people who will cross pollinate between them. Yep. Yep. Very cool. So when do you, when do you quit your full-time job and go on on media? That that's the, that's the million multi-million dollar question here. And I think it's more so when I finally get an idea to, to, to fulfill what I call uh, content, the commerce. Um, and what my end goal with this is to build a business behind it all. So a lot of companies, what they do is they'll make a startup and then they'll try to find distribution. So they'll start with the product and then try to find the people my thing is to find the people, have fun creating the content, and then figure out what product they want, and then build that for them. So like a lot of content creators use their content to invest in other companies. That's cool and stuff, but I want to build a company behind it. And so, you know, I'm happy in the spot that I'm in now learning as a CFO, and it gives me a ton of credibility. I think there's a flywheel there where I can crystallize what I'm learning, and I can also be seen as a subject matter expert because I'm doing it day to day. But eventually, uh, I'd, I'd love to to make this full time probably within within the next three years here. When you send out an email to your 35,000 subscribers, how many open typically and how many clicked usually? Yeah, my my uh, my open rate right now yesterday was 46% so far. Um, and then my click through rate on any is between three and 7%, depending on the post itself. Mm-hmm. But uh, usually it's probably in the four and a half to five range. Okay. I guess, so 46% of 35,000, what is that? Like 16,000 opened. And then you're saying 7% of the, or five to 7% of the 16,000 would click. Yeah. Something like that. And then the website itself. So just to be clear, sorry, that would be like six, seven, 800 clicks per post. Yeah. Yeah. That, that sounds about right. And yesterday, for example, we got 26,000 first day views. Because a lot of them are through email, but a lot of them are also just word of mouth. It was kind of cool. Somebody emailed me today. I made the TLDR tech uh, newsletter for the first time mm-hmm. today, which was like a cool milestone for me just because I've read it for so long. But I've been getting picked up by different distribution networks and kind of this whole internet flywheel. This that makes this a lot of sense. How many, how many, do you have a way via Substack to analyze your audience? How many of them are true CFOs operating at a, com- a SaaS company right now? My friend actually built me a tool and it's coming to market um, next month um, and it's called Mega Hit. And basically I upload my subscriber list and then uh, it uses Apollo IO and ChatGPT and a couple other tools and LinkedIn to figure out what percentage of people are of what title and what industry they work in. So the last time I checked, I think I had about 7,000 actual CFOs. And then I have other people within it who are, you know, maybe a couple of years behind and aspiring to be CFOs, right? Yeah. Like maybe they're the head of FP&A and come Are those and- CFOs at SaaS companies? Do you have any way to know that? Yeah, it, it blends them by, uh, it's pretty neat. It'll, it'll show me what industry they're in and then it'll show me how many people work at that company too. So, so how many of the 7,000 CFOs on your list are SaaS CFOs, would you say? Uh, about 60%. Okay. Wow. So pretty significant, uh, there. Okay. Very cool. All right, CJ, on that note, let's wrap up here with the famous five. Number one, your favorite book. My favorite book, uh, catch 22 by Joseph Heller. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Yeah. Uh, Mark Kostovsky of Minoan brands, Minoan experience. 
Number three, what's your favorite online tool for building mostly metrics? My favorite online tool is just a, a, a blank Substack page, baby, straight <laughs> number, from the dome. Uh, number four, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Oh man, I got a one and a half year old and then I got another one on the way. So not as much as I'd like, probably seven. Okay. And the situation sounds like someone's married with one kid, another one on the way. Yes, sir. All right. And how old are you, CJ? I'm 32 going on 33. Nice. Last question. Something you wish you knew when you were 20. Everything's going to be okay. I actually have it written on a post-it note up here because nothing's ever as good or as bad as it seems. And I think I some moments in life and in, in business in particular, you think it's the end of the world or the best thing ever, but you got to wake up tomorrow and do it again. Guys, he cut his teeth at an operating uh, company as a, in the private equity firm, also at PwC before that. Now runs a newsletter focused on CFOs, of which he gets a 46% open rate, which is about 16,000 opens, and a 5 to 7% click-through rate, which is 800 clicks per post, called MostlyMetrics.com, hosted on Substack. 7,000 of those readers are actual CFOs. In fact, it's so valuable. You've got companies like Brex willing to pay him 1, 2, 3, 4K sort of per post uh, from a sponsor perspective. He's looking to scale that now, launched a podcast as well with Turpentine, still while cutting his teeth as an operator, as a true CFO at a company called Parts Tech, which he's, uh, which he's working on. Uh, CJ, thanks for taking us to the top. Thank you, sir. It's been a blast.